Hey there, and welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association, and, and today we're going to have a conversation with Audrey Lomax with MNL. She's going to share a little bit about the work they do managing native prairies under solar arrays with sheep and all the fun complications that go along with that. I'm really looking forward to hearing about it. So Audrey, welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited as well. I had the opportunity, as you obviously remember, to talk to you a couple of weeks ago or a month ago now at, at a conference where we were both attending and stuff. And, you know, I think what you guys are doing is awesome. But before we even get into what you're doing with MNL, I'd be curious to hear your history and how you got to working with them and, and working with sheep and grazing and, you know, kind of the history that brought you to where you are. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so I guess I'd say I grew up in the Twin Cities and went to school in Maine. And while I was an undergrad, I saw some goats at a petting zoo um, and absolutely fell in love with them. I had never any had any intentions of getting into agriculture at all, coming from the city and everything. And after seeing those goats, I kind of took a whole new direction with life. I entered a woofing program right after college and went and farmed on a few sustainable farms with focus on goats and livestock for about a year. And then Went and farmed and served at you know restaurants for three or four years, kind of making it work while I learned what sustainable farming and farming with livestock was all about. At which point I went to graduate school and got a degree in food systems. That really helped me kind of center around how restoration and ecological livestock farming can really work and support the you know environmental positives that I wanted to see livestock do. And then I found MNL about a year ago. And joined the team here and have been working on kind of promoting that ecological restorative livestock message and use since then. Wow. Well, it sounds like this kind of worked out to be almost a perfect fit for what your interests were then. Yeah, absolutely. I think, it, you know, some of the more subtle things that it touches on are also you know, rural development, supporting uh, farmers and supporting keeping land and agriculture, which is something that's really important to me. And then the pollinator aspect is actually also something I um, studied some in, throughout the last 10 years and have found really important and interesting. So I was excited to be in Minnesota where we have so much prairie and uh, savanna and then some deciduous forest to play in as well. Hmm. So coming from, you said the Twin Cities, you grew up like kind of in a more urban area. Um, why? Yeah. Yeah, you, I'm curious how you developed that passion for, you know, kind of helping develop rural communities and why this was something of interest to you, maybe not actually having grown up in that, you know, that, that realm and that experience. And sorry, we're kind of getting yeah. off track of what I was talking about, but I, I'm fascinated by this. It's really cool. I, I love that passion. It's a passion I have myself. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you're asking because I think it is really important um, to kind of talk about how a person does learn and come to love different areas of uh, the world and different contexts in which the world operates. And I just had never felt at home until I got onto a farm. I had never been on one um, and I just had never felt at home. And I didn't realize I'd never felt at home until I was on a farm. Um, yeah, so and cool. just, you know, yeah, meeting people and engaging with people, being outside learning the beauty around us and truly, I think, enjoying and revering in it in a way that I had never seen elsewhere is something that I found within the farming community. And once you fall in love with farmers, you fall in love and, and farms, you fall in love with where farmers and farms are. So mm. that's rural America. Um, sure. And, you know, I've spent years traveling around, uh, driving the, the whole country and have just found it to be a most beautiful place full of beautiful people. And I want to see it thrive. Yeah. Oh, that's, <clears throat> that's so cool. I, it's funny because I feel like a lot of rural Americans, rural farmers maybe don't even have that 
love of and, and recognition of you know the value of these rural communities and, and you not even having grown up in that have obviously developed it so you know that's that's just really cool to hear that you appreciate it and whereas uh, we and, and a lot of people may overlook us i mean they call us if i fly over states for a reason i guess and yeah. So, so yeah no that's that's awesome that's that's super cool um you you said you did some woofing and I'm curious I think I know what that is but tell me more about that and and some of the experience you got working with the non farms. Yeah, thanks for asking and, and delving deeper. So woofing is the worldwide organics opportunities farming, which is a essentially a website that puts farmers and people interested in farming together. It's centered around learning about the farm and the farmer. So there's a lot of cultural exchange aspect to it. Um, and theoretically, you're supposed to get some of the food you help farm. And so it's a really great way to kind of both get to know that system of farming and the farmers themselves and the communities okay. they live in. Okay. And do you think that kind of sets you up well to to do the work you're doing now? Or has that been a pretty big learning curve as you kind of worked your way into MNL? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think all my experiences together set me up to really be able to take in the amount of information and sort of utilize it quickly sure. enough at MNL. But it was a it was a learning curve to kind of take all that information and I've kind of slowly gathered over the last 10 years and use it all at once mm. um, and find ways to do that. Yeah. Um, but I would say the, you know, some of the logistics and things like that is some of the really fun stuff that I've learned through MNL a little bit more and um, comes with kind of managing the much larger scale livestock than I had previously. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that you mentioned touch on the logistics and stuff, which I want to get into and stuff, but almost probably no farm you could have worked on just about every farm. And there's not many that have to deal with the kind of logistics that you, you are dealing with probably in the different sites and locations and producers and, you know, flocks that you're managing. But again, kind of before we get into that, even now you're, you're with MNL, you worked your, you kind of explained how you got to MNL. Uh, what is MNL and what, what is your role within MNL? MNL is a full-service ecological company that started about 20 years ago, growing, sorting, and planting native seeds that's now moved into a construction, um, fire, and grazing services company as well. So we have mm -hmm. both product and service, all of which uh, revolves around ecological services meant to restore, enhance, um, and improve you know, our kind of native systems here in Minnesota. Hmm. And what, like, I guess my only really experience with MNL is the grazing and the specifically the solar grazing and stuff. What are the types of environments or kind of, I don't know, I guess just for our listener, if there's any anybody that might be interested in kind of these things that you're offering, what are the circumstances and kind of situations that you find yourself working in from, you know, across the state? Is it relatively urban, rural? What, what What's the work? Yeah. Do you mean specifically grazing or kind of across all everything. of MNL? Yeah, I, everything. Yeah. I didn't even realize there was as much going on as there was there. So. <laughs> Yeah, there is a lot going on. We're busy. Um, so we are across sort of about five states, um, mm. expanding out a little bit west and east, south of us. Um, mm -hmm. And then within that, we work within urban, uh, peri-urban and rural spaces. I would say the majority is sort of in that within that peri-urban and rural line. Um, we work okay. a lot with parks and, you know, government grants uh, that were, or government contracts, excuse me, that were um, out across sort of that tract of land but generally i would say it's within the peri-urban to rural sure and and you were brought in specifically on the grazing side then right what and what are you doing within your role yeah so for my role what i'm the manager of the 
grazing division. Um, it's an ecological restorative grazing. And my role kind of is to manage the whole project and or the whole program in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and that encompasses, you know, from sales across down to answer, ensuring animal nutrition is where it needs to be. Um, and then mm-hmm. safety is, you know, we're being safe on solar sites and everything. So my day to day would look like kind of creating a logistics plan for what we're going to be doing out on the sites and things like that. And then making sure that the crew and team is aware of what we're doing and ready to do so. Um, And then communicating back with our business development crew and making sure that they're receiving the information they need to continue to support sales and marketing and things. Yeah. And so the grazing, again, that I'm familiar with is primarily the solar grazing. Is there more beyond the solar grazing that I'm unaware of? Or is is that the main aspect of your job? Yeah, so the grazing division in general um, does encompass the sheep, Katahdin sheep that we have, solar grazing. We have about 3,000, sorry, 2,500 Katahdin sheep right now that Mm. do predominantly work within solar. They do a little bit of outside of it, but it's mainly on solar. And then we have 250-ish goats that work within the the forests, and they do buckthorn removal mainly or kind of impacting the buckthorn. So on the solar grazing, I guess let's just dig into that because that's the thing that I, I'm really intrigued by. There's solar, it seems like there's solar rays going up all over the place now. I can't drive too far without running into one somewhere. You know, what are you, what's the service that you're providing when you talk about, you know, grazing sheep under these solar arrays and why is that, you know, better, worse, you know, different than the alternatives? Yeah. The objective of grazing under solar is to manage the forage production mm-hmm. to ensure that the land itself is being well cared for and managed appropriately and that the solar developer or owner operator is both within compliance for thatch reduction um, and fire risk reduction. And then also, you know, are able to access solar panels easily and manage the site uh, as they need to. So when we started seeding, you know, we kind of, when we started, we got into solar uh, probably about five years ago when seeding and ensure and working with groups to get native seed planted under solar panels and pollinator friendly habitat planted. And as we did so, we started managing with kind of traditional mowing and weed whipping and herbicide techniques. Um, And it quickly became clear because of, in part, other, you know, solar grazers showing us, but it became clear to us that, uh, you know, managing with sheep is the most ecologically friendly way to to do that management under the solar panels. And it helps restore the tracts of land that we're managing to the level's both MNL would like to see and um, the, you know, owners, the solar owners in general would like to see. And so with the sheep, um, what they do better, I think, is twofold, one or threefold, I guess. One over time, they're going to help increase the health of that site significantly so that we're that we should start to see fewer and fewer weed issues, um, encroaching tree issues, runoff, you know, um, erosion, any any of the typical problems one might see with some land that hasn't been fully restored to a um, thriving grassland habitat. Second would be that it supports rural communities. Again, it supports the farmers by um, providing opportunities for farmers to get on land, uh, particularly if they might not have enough to, mm. to build a flock to the size that they need to for production levels. Yeah. And then finally, it kind of ends up reducing cost uh, because because of those reduced issues, because of that increased soil health, the owners aren't having to pay in the, you know, down the line for tree removal, herbicide spraying, ex- extra mowing costs and, uh, you know, noxious weed issues. So that's kind of what we're seeing and why we like to use sheep. Yeah. Because you also, you, you guys also will do some of the mechanical 
when needed in some of those situations too. So do you have, I'm kind of curious actually on that, you talked about the cost there, breakdown, I mean, of letting sheep and you know, livestock use, you know, it's not, a, they're, they're literally being fueled by the stuff their job is there to manage as opposed to fueled by, uh, you know, <laughs> diesel or gasoline and, and run by a human. I mean, it's kind of a pretty efficient, awesome system. It is, it is. And I think also um, you as a producer know that it, it costs a lot to, to manage animals as well. And so there is that that as well that um, I think does need to be a part of the conversation when we talk about cost in order to ensure that producers are getting paid for the work. Um, but I think absolutely it is a great system. We are, you know, the animals are managing what they're eating and fight, you know, vice versa. So it's not, we're not paying a lot in the summer for feed or anything like that, nor are we having to, you know, input diesel to the extent that we do otherwise. Um, but we do, we do manage um, a lot of solar sites with mechanical mowing, weed whipping and herbicide. Um, and we manage the sites that we graze, we continue to sometimes manage with those tools as well. Uh, and what we do generally, our cost is that for grazing, we try to keep costs around what, what we charge for mowing and and weed whipping, I would say in general. We try to keep it around the same, um, in part because that is what the you know market pays for right now, but also in part because I do think that it it probably with an efficient system does shake out. We haven't had the time yet to get a lot of those really secure numbers together, but as we mm-hmm. as we do, it'll be quite interesting to see what that differential is. Well, I think that's a really good point that like you said, yeah, pr- producers and, and managers of this, it takes labor, it takes time and thought, and that that has a cost to it. But uh, it's it's nice to think that you know even if the dollars spent are the same, the allocation of those dollars are being towards local farmers and producers, and not to depreciation on equipment and fuel. You know, I mean, the actual where the dollars Absolutely. are going is you know the, the biggest advantage. It's it's awesome. It is. I think it's a really amazing. Um, There's a really wonderfully way to frame it is that the the dollars are going to get spent just where do you want them to mm-hmm. go yeah um, and i really like that yeah no for sure and you know i it's it's something that i guess sometimes frustrates me as i i'm on twitter probably shouldn't be sometimes there can be a lot of <laughs> negativity on there but i see every now and then folks will show a picture of these solar arrays and say well there's a waste of a bunch more productive farmland and you know in their context as they see it as corn and soybean producing land and that's kind of mm-hmm. it. Um, and when it goes into solar arrays, they see it as it'll never be able to produce corn and soybeans again. But they're maybe missing the opportunity here that you can, with your management and with this kind of a system, harvest solar, you know, add, bring a lot of dollars just to that local farm, you know, through the, the rent payments of the solar company alone. Plus, you actually are keeping it in production just in a different management system through grazing. Absolutely. I think that's huge. And I do think that um, it's important. That's an important aspect for everybody to sort of pay attention to, including sort of the developers who and, and owners who can choose to make sure that their land is managed this way. And I think townships are often pushing for that and have been quite successful in doing so. So I think owners and operators who are, you know, developers who want to build in a specific area, making sure that that land will in perpetuity sort of stay in agriculture is a good way to get townships on board. So I think that's really important. And also, you know, I think in, in keeping it in, in agriculture, it does kind of take a little bit of shifting around how we think about ourselves in Minnesota as agriculturalists and farmers. And it does start to kind of value sheep production in a, in a slightly more elevated way than it has been in the past. But I do think that that's really important in terms of creating narratives around sustainable meat production, because 
I think meat production's around to stay, and if we can make it as sustainable as possible, and and mm-hmm. sort of a byproduct of a different of a different service. Um, I think that that is a really lovely way to eat meat and, and consume and produce meat. So, yeah, well, and I don't even know, it's probably a, not even a fair representative the, a representation. This might be, you know, the idea of, of a solar grazing with sheep grazing, the kind of the byproduct is probably better than the alternative, but it kind of makes me think of, uh, you know, corn being used for ethanol and the byproduct of DDGs being fed back to livestock. And, and a lot of farmers stand on that, you know, as kind of a, you know, awesome example of sustainability and that we're able to use it for both fuel and, and, uh, and still keep it in, in agriculture and feed production. And this is kind of another way of looking at that, although it probably is maybe even a little bit more sustainable. It's solar energy and, uh, and grazing, uh, you know, harvested manually as opposed to all of the other things that go along with that. But it's just kind of a, in an interesting perspective that those land, those acres used for corn put into ethanol production are both serving a fuel and a a feed source. And so is this just in a different way. Absolutely. And I think when we can kind of create those um, extra connections and dual purpose pieces of land or whatnot, I think that that really does impact sustainability on a larger scale when we're all sort of thinking about that together. And I think you could add in cover cropping and under, you know, row crops and things like that is kind of, they produce the nitrogen, helps cover the soil, and um, you know farmers are able to grow their corn and soy. So I think all of these kind of combos are really important when we're talking about sustainability over time. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the logistics, and you mentioned twenty five hundred sheep. That you know that alone is that's complicated managing twenty five hundred sheep when they're on your your ranch where you've got water and fence infrastructure set up. I mean that's a job alone. And now you're talking about moving yeah. twenty five hundred sheep across. You know five states, multiple sites, you know, you're also working with some other producers, I think, you know, let's talk a little bit about that challenge and those headaches. And what are the things that you have to deal with on a daily basis, as far as dealing with the management of those logistics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess I will start with sort of our purview. I will say that the while well, MNL is in many states, so far grazing is just um, in Minnesota. And okay. most of our acreage, of uh, which we managed in total about 3,000 acres this year um, on solar. And for 500 of those acres were managed by three collaborators that we have, that we farmers we work with um, in western Minnesota. And so sure. for MNL sheep, we're about two hours outside the metro each direction throughout the grazing season. And then we have those three collaborators out um, in the western side of the state. And throughout the season, we had, which which goes between early April to mid-December is what we had for last year's season on sites. The most we sheep we had on, on different sites of MNLs groups was about five. So we are managing kind of these three to five um groups at a time across that kind of span of the metro. Uh, And so it is really a lot of logistics. Um, On top of that, of course, you know, we're managing ewes versus rams, ram lambs that we did not castrate that last year, Um, a mistake that we will not make again for our purposes. (laughs) Um, And, you know, so we had all these different classes of animals too, that some of them had to be kept apart. And we weaned on site this year and things like that. So of course, there was a Mm. lot going on. um, And managing all of it, um, you know, we use a lot of Excel spreadsheets and try to really kind of figure out in that sense what we're doing, but we're really looking at what acreages need to be managed in what way 
for that specific year. So when we sit down in February, March, like we're doing right now, what we're coming up with is how did the 30 acre site in Montrose or whatnot, um, Mm -hmm. how did that get managed last year? Was it in this, what time of year was it? How large of impact was it? What did its regrowth look like? And what weeds are we seeing coming? What weeds do we see at the end of the season? What weeds are we seeing again that we think will come up at the beginning of the season. Um, and we do that for each site we're going to, you know, going to manage. And we try to really dial in the timing around which we want to put the sheeps on site to create a, you know, multi-year plan that allows for kind of an adaptive high impact grazing plan over time. And so once we kind of dial in what each site needs, whether it needs to be grazed at a different time of the year, certain weeds managed, whatnot, that's when we kind of start to figure out what what sheep are going to kind of manage those sites. So we pull all that together, we separate out our flocks, and then we spend all summer running around moving them and trying to water them, and then weaning and doctoring and um, breeding and doing everything that we, a normal, you know, a a producer on farm would need to be doing throughout the the season. Mm -hmm. But it is really centered around that kind of pollinator habitat creation. Um, and making sure that we are ensuring each site blooms at different times throughout the year or, you know, different times year after year so that the pollinator communities can be as healthy as possible on each site. So then I can get a little bit more deep into the the actual logistics if you'd like me to. Yeah, well, I would, but I'm even curious on this side too. Like, I mean, first of all, I love the fact that it's like adaptive. I mean, that's something we're talking about all the time with our our producers and farmers that we work with at SFA is, you know, this adaptive grazing management and not just a system, uh, systematic certain rotation, hit it once per year, you know, or whatever and stuff. But uh, I'm curious, like, is there, you know, I, I guess it's, it's hard to even get into it then if, if there is so much thought process behind the the management and and and, uh, and stuff but is there a typical i mean are you hitting land typically once per year multiple times per year i mean is there some sort of what might be considered a, a normal yeah absolutely there um generally we hit each site once a year i would say about a quarter of the sites we hit twice this year that's mainly because we are really trying to just go into a site reduce the thatch down to the lowest level it can be leave the site um, and let that prairie kind of re, you know, regrow and, and flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really are kind of following that model of just running through once per year. In some ways okay. we think about it as recreating fire in a space that we can't have fire sure. um, and just kind of rapidly recycling that nutrients. But some of the sites are a little bit more lush um, or grew a little bit faster and did need to get managed again. So we, we do two times in that case. Okay. And are the sheep, uh, is, I'm sure there's lots of reasons why sheep are the best, you know, animal for this and stuff, but do you see them managing sort of selectively and picking and choosing one thing and leaving other things? Or do you manage kind of in a way that forces them to be non-selective and kind of graze everything down? Yeah. Um, so that's a wonderful question, of course. So we, being that we are trying to do high impact, we do try to keep our, our stocking numbers up as much as possible when kind of moving through each site. Although Mm -hmm. given the logistics of everything, we can't always quite get that perfect. So there are times where we are able to observe a little bit more, some of their preferences over time. Sure. Generally we have them in a space tight enough that they don't really get a choice and they do feel that level of competition where they just 
eat whatever they can. Um, but when we have them a little bit lower stocking rates um, and it's taking them a little longer to get through the site, we do notice that they have preferences. One of their favorites actually is cottonwood, which mm. are a kind of a problem on solar sites and they'll they'll go right after the cottonwood first. They really do love the prairie plants as far as I can tell. They go after those pretty quickly. And then they don't tend to love, you know, some of the stinging nettle, things like that. And then I think lamb's quarters is one of the ones that I always see left over on site, which is unsurprising to me. So we do see a few left over. The woman who runs our vegetation management crew loves it because she can just see what weeds are left and send people out to go manage them pretty easily. Huh. Yeah, no, that is interesting. And that's neat that, yeah, you're able to kind of see what they, they like and, and whatnot. But tell me why sheep is the the livestock species that y'all are kind of using to manage these grazing sites as opposed to goats Sorry, or cattle you or, or anything else. Yeah, no, no worries. You did ask that. Um, so, yeah, we choose sheep because um, they are docile and pretty easy to keep in and small. So, yeah, the, the solar panels generally can be between a foot and 18 inches off the ground at the bottom edge. Mm -hmm. And so animals being able to sort of walk under that or walk under at least portions of the panels is really nice. A cow would probably be able to just like, you know, get on top of a panel um, here in America. So, um, and then goats are absolutely not allowed on solar sites because they're too rambunctious and they jump all over the solar panels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, oh gosh. No, I, and probably chew on wiring and everything and just make a mess out of whatever. I don't even know goats, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, no, I appreciate you sharing a little bit more on that, that, but now like you were gonna, I, I'll let you get back into those like logistics of what it actually means to move these yeah. sheep because there's a lot of sheep moving a lot of places. Uh, and, and how do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with um, kind of our ideal site um, and then talk about what we kind of generally run into. So an ideal solar site when being developed and, and planned out for grazing, what we ask in general is that, you know, developers thinking about put a, putting a water spigot on site that somebody could hook a hose up into or some sort of water source that's somewhat easy to access and use. Yeah. Are, most, are most of the solar developments putting those in? I would say on the utility scale, I think that's becoming a really, hopefully a standardized practice. Um, okay. I, on the smaller scale, I'm not sure it's actually economical for them to do that on the smaller mm -hmm. scale, but for the utility scale, we do really push for that. Um, smaller scale would be nice too. And so util utility scale is going to be around a thousand acres, just as reference for that. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a lot of acreage. Um, and so we asked for that. We do really appreciate that most of the solar sites or all of them have fencing. It's either, um, you know, livestock fencing or chain link fencing. And we do, uh, you know, always like it when the fencing is down to the ground or quite close to it. We run into some spaces where the fencing is a little bit um, higher off the ground, whether due to frost heaves or wildlife gaps that were created during development. Um, and those just create issues for, you know, sheep producers. So we have to go chase sheep around them um, or fix the fences, which is fine, but it's nice to have them set up on the front end. And then access, you know, easy access via trailer or something like that so that the road is accessible. Um, and generally that's pretty much some of the major, you know, need infrastructural needs we have. Because most of the sites don't have water on site, that is kind of one of our bigger um, inputs. And so uh, I'll just run you through kind of quickly how we do um, a bigger, you know, a, 
deployment to a site and how we would manage it mm-hmm. across the time. So we deploy either if it's a bigger group, which generally we have about 500 to 800 use per site that move around. Um, and so that bigger group we do in a, in a livestock trailer, a semi pot that has four levels and we can fit about 350 to 400 mid-size use. Our katahdins are about 150 pounds. We can fit about three, 350 you know, 150 pound use on that trailer. We'll trailer the, to the site. Um, usually in one day we can get everybody cause we go, f- we try to keep sites nearby and we'll trailer everybody to the site. We'll drop them off. We'll have already perimeter checked the fence and, you know, at that time we'll be bringing the water, um, and dumping that there along with mineral salt, things like that. We fill the water with a 450 trailer with a 500 gallon tank on it. And usually we're filling about a thousand gallons, 700 to 1200 is our general, you know, kind of range. And those are on implements, you know, ranging from being enclosed, you know, built trailers that are 700 gallons to, um, we have a kind of stationary stock tank that we have on a utility trailer that we wheel around. Um, we take it on and off every time we move it. So we kind of have adapted with whatever waters we've been able to get at that size. And we fill those trail those waterers um, when we arrive on the site. And then generally once or twice throughout the time that the animals are on site, we'll come back and fill again with that 450. Um, and we're usually going to nearby, you know, utility or city water sources um, and filling up our tank on the back of the 450 um, and then shuffling it over to the to the bulk tanks on site. And then those just gravity feed into stock tanks with floats. Sure. You said the ideal, you know, kind of size and stuff and those utility scales have are, are nicer. What's the average size of the properties you're working on? Maybe you mentioned it. I missed it. But. No, it's a good question. It, um, the average size is, um, it ranges between about 15 acres to 50 acres, I would say. Okay. And so when you bring in like five to 800 sheep onto one of these 15 acre, 20 acre properties, how quick are you moving them on and back off? Yeah. Uh, so we move generally within about 10 to 14 days, I would say. Okay. We'd like to get it down to about a week to 10 days, I think, just to hit a little harder, hit a little faster, move on. Uh, but right now we're about 10 to 14 days. And we d- were able to play with our you know group numbers well enough that we were able to have a 900 si- you know, sh- U group running around to the 50, 60 acre sites with a sure. 400 group running around to the... 15 to 40 acre sites. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's nice that you've, you know, kind of grown to the size where you can start to do these adaptions. <laughs> you're, you're managed, you've, you've got experience and you, you can kind of adjust to the properties that you're working with and stuff. Absolutely. I think that's a, a big, big fortune of ours is to be able to kind of figure out what works and grow to the size where we can actually try to make it work. So I'll let you get back in. Sorry, I kind of cut cut you off there. I was just kind of thinking on those numbers. But is there more to the logistics? You talked a lot about the water there and how you move water, but the other stuff, anything else? Yeah, I, I find people really um, want to know the, the gritty details about water. I don't go into as much detail about much else, honestly. <laughs> um, sure. But yeah. I will say, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's generally just trailering around watering and, and checking on animals. We do have some escapees that we work to keep keep in and we do have some predators that we deal with but you know that's kind of all general um logistics for 
running any type of livestock operation. Um, I will say that with this year going into the winter, it was pretty interesting logistically to work on the waterer situation and back to that. But um, we were able to kind of create a um, closed loop you know, running pump system that kept the water running um, all the time and had animals out for about three weeks after freezing. So that was pretty exciting for us this year because I've never actually done something quite so neat on a a farm where everything stays where, where it's supposed to. So that was pretty, pretty cool one. Oh, that is, that is cool. Um, you, you, you touched on predator issues and that was one of the questions I had is, is the ones that I see around here, a lot of the fence are chain link fence and I didn't know if predator issues was even a concern would, uh, or, but do you, do you see that quite regularly and how are you managing for that? Do you have your guardian animals or just kind of a site by site basis? Um, yeah, so we, we do see predator issues. We've had, you know, it, it varies between a lamb or two getting picked off over two weeks to one site over the course of about four days, we lost, lost 50 animals. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, it kind of, it was very large span there. And, uh, for the site where we lost a lot of animals, we're going to have to really, really reassess whether we can go back there. Um, mm-hmm. or if, when we go back there, how we're going to manage that very differently. Um, mm-hmm. but for a lot of the sites where, you know, one or two are getting picked off, I think, um, we are just trying to figure out when is the right time to bring lambs onto site. And then, what sites are appropriate for lambs. I think that's going to really be the big change we're going to make this year. Um, Another site where we had kind of consistent pressure on our lambs all year round, we've already spoken with them and, you know, decided not to bring smaller animals there. I think that's kind of our main strategy is just try to have the animals on the larger side for a lot of the sites we've noticed issues on. It's hard to deal with it with the solar, there's a lot of politics around that. Um, you know, there's folks that are, that own and operate these that have a lot of things that they need to make sure, um, are taken care of on their sites and don't really want some of the traditional predator control methods, which I completely understand. So it's a tricky, sort of a tricky issue there, but we do have, Oh, sorry, sorry. I forgot to mention, we have a don- two donkeys and we are kind of playing around with guard dogs on site, but we find that the donkeys work really great. Interesting. Okay. Huh. No, that's, that's neat. I, I didn't know if that was, yeah, I, I, like I mentioned, I, I didn't even know if it was necessary with the chain link fences. If pre- predators were an issue, especially when you're moving them as regularly as you are every, you know, seven to 14 days and stuff, getting them in and getting them out. If predators are able to even, you know, set up, a, expect anything in that, that short period of a time. You know, I'm, it's interesting you mentioned that I will say that our our most severe predator pressure is in the area where we've had the most consistent numbers throughout the season. So there is an area where we were kind of plunked all summer long um, within about a 30 mile radius or, or less. And that is where we get the most predators. So I'm curious then, like y- you guys have been doing, I think they said 2016 or something when you started working with solar arrays, maybe not even grazing yet at that point, but kind of maybe seeding and stuff but you've got several years of experience in this and and you're continuing to do it um, and grow and and that's awesome for the you know sheep producer or the person listening that might be interested in producing sheep kind of to your point earlier that you mentioned the advantage of person who maybe doesn't have access to land how can they get involved in doing something like this too you you work with some producers you said in western minnesota is it working with you or can they do it independently you know, how is that possible for them to get involved yeah i think um there's a i'll say there's a lot of opportunity that i see to get 
sheep on land. One of the things I see as one a big barrier is that connecting farmers to either vegetation managers or you know solar operators or owners. I think that connection is one that is growing through different programs like ASGA, American Solar Grazing Association, which is run out of New York, um, but attempting to become more of a nationwide network and conglomerate of solar grazers. Otherwise, you know, groups like MNL who are in contact with developers, owner operators, things like that are, you know, MNL is looking for collaborators and folks to work with at all times. And so um, trying to connect in with a group like that can be really helpful. Otherwise, I would say, I think just reaching out and being a little tenacious about it is probably a good a good way to go. I think a lot of folks in the solar world are busy like anybody else um, and, and a little wary of going down rabbit holes that they might not see understand yet or things like that maybe. That might not be the best way to say it, but I think people in the solar world are busy and I think finding the right person at each company to talk to um, is a really great way to kind of get your foot in the door. And it can be really hard to find that person, but just reaching out, going to solar conferences, finding um, solar grazing conferences and groups and just kind of getting vocal, I think is a great way to start finding ways to get on land. Yeah. And and I uh, I know I talked to you about this, you know, the last time I met you and, and stuff is that this is something that I had looked into and I thought, you know, I can, I can do this. And I kind of pursued uh, reaching out to some of those solar developers and owners myself and stuff but even hearing you talk about these logistics i can see the advantage of you know working with and partnering with a a group like you who's done this and has some of the kind of protocols and the experience to help help a producer you know figure out what they even need to do and so what does it look like if a producer works with you what what is the kind of the the relationship you have with some of your producers to kind of work with them as they're they're the the sheep the grazers the managers and you guys kind of I don't know if you play that role between them and the the solar development owners. Yeah, um, I can speak a little bit to it. I will say right now we're trying to we're taking a real look at that um, and trying to sort of revamp and reorganize how we want to go about working with producers. First and foremost, I would say I think we do really want to be a conglomerate and a resource to producers throughout the Midwest, um, and we're trying to figure out the best way to to do so. And we do help. We help navigate those relationships. I think that is a lot of it. We have resources um, and connections that we can reach out to and gain a lot more ground, I think, in terms of getting more solar companies to be interested in grazing. So we have those connections and then and MNL has connections to the solar companies that allows us to kind of bring farmers and, and companies together. Um, and so working with us looks like right now, it looks like um, managing the solar sites with our goals in mind, which is to, you know, graze once per year, essentially. So being willing to take on that one time per year, you know, acreage, which is not typical of most producers. And then having us kind of set up the safety trainings protocols, us do the sort of management with the solar companies. um, And we define where the, the producer needs to get throughout the season. Often they can kind of tell us which site they'd like to go to first and manage first. Although we do really try to rotate how those sites get hit as well. So working with us, a producer, it looks like a producer contacts us. We set up a, a visit and determine shared goals and understanding around what the objective of having them on site is for mm-hmm. both parties. And then we 
MNL goes and does a site visit to ensure that the producer is meeting some level of animal welfare standards. Um, and then we start to discuss what sort of sites they're able to manage, how much they're able to manage um, with their size flock and have a real discussion around where that producer would like to go over time and if MNL can support that. And then MNL really takes care of the other side of things. We speak with the solar developers about, you know, getting safety protocols in order, making sure the producers on the list um, to get onto the sites, making sure everything's sort of in order and that the solar company knows what that producer is doing and how they're doing. And then the producer is really able to focus on the farming aspect of being on the solar site, as long as they're kind of following the protocol, which is laid out for them and generally pretty easy to get into the sites. They manage their animals the way they'd like to. They water and and move their animals in general. And MNL supports where we can, whether it's through checking on the animals, watering the animals, or helping trailer them um, from site to site. Yeah. Well, I like what you just said there about like the producer, the you know, farmer gets to do what they do, you know, farm and stuff. And I think that's probably a good way to yeah. say it is even just that MNL takes care of all the stuff we don't want to do as producers. You know, we're, we're, pr- we're producers, we're sheep farmers and we enjoy being with animals and out on the land, not dealing with contracts and negotiations and conversations with, you know, folks, you know, building and owning these from wherever they're coming from and stuff. So I think it, it can, it sounds like it could be a really mutual beneficial relationship. Yeah. And I'm, I think that's really a wonderful thing to bring up because allowing for the farmers to do that, I think just helps everybody because if they're getting bogged down, they're not able to produce and manage the sheep the way they need to be. And mm-hmm. frankly, it's such a, I think it's such an important knowledge base that farmers hold is this animal um, husbandry and welfare and the ecological knowledge base that a lot of farmers hold. It's a very rare combination. And I think being that it's so place-based, I think it's really important to tap into that local knowledge at the sites um, and ensure that we're really utilizing that as we can. So this has all been fantastic and I really appreciate you sharing it with me. Is there anything that I missed that would be important for the listener of this, you know, to know? I don't know. I think we have listeners who might be people who see the solar arrays and don't really know what to think about them, people who are producers and interested in doing it. And, you know, people in the city who care about food and, and, you know, sustainable agriculture. I mean, is there anything that uh, you'd you'd like to share here kind of as we start to wrap up? Thanks. I would say there's a few things. One, the solar arrays are, there's a lot of possibilities, I think, uh, for the land underneath the arrays and deciding how that land is going to be used um, in the future is everybody is something everybody can do. And I think if you want to be involved in deciding how that land is used, you can get involved, get involved with your townships, your cities, and your counties to ensure that your voice is being heard about how you want to see that land in in use, particularly agriculturally, if possible. Um, And then I would also say that we are always looking for collaborators. Um, We're, as I said, changing a little bit of our model right now and a little bit slow on it, but we are looking for folks to work with and trying to expand solar grazing in Minnesota as much as possible and really look forward to working with folks. If you'd like to reach out, my name is Audrey Lomax with MNL. My email is audrey.lomax at mnlcore.com, or you can email graze at mnlcore.com and that'll go to me too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you coming on today. That was all fantastic. And yeah, and we'll put your email if you're okay with it in the show notes and, and, and people are welcome to reach out to you if they have any questions from here. Yeah, I love it. And thanks so much for having us on, Jerry. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. 
We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.